You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a really awesome deal that I got from my friends and new sponsors, Adam and Eve, the number one adult toy superstore. They reached out to me and they said, Andrew, we love Disability After Dark. We love your show. We love what you're doing. And we were wondering if you wanted to run some ads for us. And I was like, fuck yes, I do. But what are my awesome listeners going to get if I run ads for you? What are they going to get out of this? And they came back with a really fantastic deal that I want to share with you right now. I hope you're getting comfy, cozy, and crippled because this deal is pretty great. If you go to AdamEve.com, you can pick out almost any item in the store, almost any one item in the store, for 50% off. That means you can get one dildo, one lube, and one thing of lingerie, if you want, for 50% off. And then, once you get that one item for half price, they throw in even more free stuff. Let me tell you all about it. Okay, so you got your one item at half price in your bag, and you're ready to go, but guess what? This offer also includes 10 free items on top of that that other item. So you get one free item for penis havers, one free item for vulva havers, one free item for couples, and then you also get six free movies from the AdamEve.com website. You can get your favorite porn or an educational film. I love free movies. They're so awesome. This is such a great deal. And then, on top of that, you also get free shipping. What could be better? This is such a great offer. So, to redeem this great offer, what you're going to do is you're going to go to AdamEve.com. You're going to go to checkout and you're going to type in DarkPod. That's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout, and you're going to get one item, almost anything in the store, at 50% off, and then you're going to get those 10 free gifts, absolutely free, as part of your offer. This is such a great deal, and this is just for you, Disability After Dark listeners, and I hope you run over to AdamEve.com and take advantage of it right now. Content warning. The language content and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. You're listening to Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories with your host, disability awareness consultant, Drew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. Thank you so much for clicking on this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I am your daddy, Drew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get this show started, everybody. 
First things first, I gotta give a shout out to some of the awesome patrons that keep a bright light shining on this show and on Disability Stories each and every week and and pledge when they can and pledge all their dollars when they're able to. And I'm not sure if I have shouted out this person before, but I'm gonna shout them out, shout them out again anyway because they're awesome. I wanna give a shout out to Christy Aiken Smith, who is making my heart ache with awesomeness because you pledged a yearly amount of $10 a year. So thank you for that. Really, really appreciate it. Every dollar helps me keep the lights on and on the show. So thank you very much. And if you're listening and you want to pledge to the show and get a weird, awkward shout-out for me like that, you can go to patreon.com slash disability after dark and pledge $1 a month, $5 a month. You can pledge for an amount for the year, too, whatever works for you. But whatever you do in terms of pledging or reviewing or telling your friends, thank you for listening. And now let's get to the show. On the program today, I sit down with my brand new friend, Court Vox, who is a body worker and who is an intimacy coach and I I saw him all over my Twitter one day and I kind of Twitter stalked him and was like I want to get to know this guy he seems really cool and I want to talk to him more about what he does and so we started talking about his work and I wanted to just chat some more and I said well have you ever done body work with somebody who was just who was physically disabled yet and he goes well no and I said well it might be really awesome if you came on the show and talked to me about body work. And when I, I gave you the opportunity to ask me questions about how to make your practice as a sex and intimacy coach and a body worker more accessible to disabled people. So that's sort of exactly what we did today. We sat down with each other and talked about how to make his practice as a body worker more accessible to disabled people. I give him some tips and tricks. We talk, we talk about the ways he could change some of his intake forms. We talk about the ways he could engage with the disabled community to understand how to better meet their needs if they wanted some body work done. I really like giving um, non-disabled people tips and tricks on how to make their practices more accessible. And I think body work and sex and intimacy coaching, like like the work that Court Vox does, really needs to be made more accessible. And so I was so happy to sit down with him and have this conversation. And I really, really liked talking with him. And he was really open to my suggestions and gave me some suggestions as well. And we had a really good chat. So I'm super happy for you to hear this interview. He is a great guy. I would love for you to um, take some take some ideas if you're trying to build an accessible body work practice from this or if you're going into like body work or sex work and you needed ways to figure out how to make your practice more accessible there's some great pointers here um, and I'm really excited for you to hear it so without further ado here's my interview with sex and intimacy coach Cord Vox right here on Disability After Dark.
Court Vox. Hello. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing today? You know, as you can see, it's a little chilly in Los Angeles, but um, I'm, I'm keeping warm in my scarf. In my my. We my talked about this off the air. I don't feel I don't feel bad for you in the least about how cold. What is the temperature there right now? I don't know. It's just cold. I don't let look at the temperature. Yeah, but LA cold is like, oh no, I have to wear a sweater. Let me see. Let me let me look. Let's see what the weather is today. It is fifty-five degrees. And so in Celsius, that's I don't know. <laughs> don't tell me. You're making me do math, Andrew. I know. Sorry. I don't know. I just know that it that our homes here are not really built for cold. That that's fair. I remember when I was in LA last year, and I it, the minute it got dark, it was cold. Yeah. Yeah, the second it's done, the sun's not there anymore, it's freezing. So I get it. Um, but it's so nice to meet you. And I kind of stalked you on the Twitter and kind of <laughs> found out what you did. And I was like, I want to talk to this person. And all my gay friends were talking to you. So I was like, I want to know who this person is and see if I can get them on the show. And so here we are. Um, you know, you know what's interesting before we start? We actually have a mutual friend in common. Um, they, I just watched this show called Serviced on Amazon. Yeah. And- there you were. And I was in it. Yes, I was. And I was like, oh my God, what a small world. And then I looked at the credits and I actually knew a few of those guys that are in that. And then um, also Charlie David, um, the producer. Yeah. Uh, he and I used to be in a boy band together when we were 19. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. I have so many feelings about this last thing. <laughs> I feel like I need to text him right after this. And be like, Why do you never tell me this? Just, just, te- just text him the number four now, forever. Just text him that. Oh my god! Yeah, our, the band's name was called Four Now. That reminds me of the totally off topic here, but that reminds me of the uh, Bob's Burgers band. Okay. Um, Boys for now. Boys for now. <laughs> it's, it's. You should if you if you. Don't watch Bob Burgers, you should. It's hilarious. And there's a okay. fake band that the that Tina is in love with, and they're called Boys for Now, and it's really hilarious. Um, okay. That's a great name. That's just funny. That's hilarious. For Now. Wow. For now. In like in LA or in like Toronto or? No, we were like based out of Vegas, um, Vegas and LA. Nice. Was it like a gay band? What was no, the? We actually weren't out at the time. Charlie and I were both oh. not out. And then two of the other guys were straight. So um, yeah, it was like, it was during a time when it wasn't like cool to be a gay boy band member. So like 20 years ago? Uh, yeah. Oh my God. It was 20 years ago. Yeah. Early 2000s were super fun to be a closeted homo in the entertainment industry. Yeah. yeah. Um, but your weird boy band aside, and I'm going to, to text him the minute this is over to be like, what? <laughs> Cause he and I have done, Charlie and I have done some work on some projects together and I'm, I'm helping him on a project right now. So it's really interesting that you like, that you brought it up. And so no, that, that, that documentary that I did was, that I did with him was, I was so nervous to do that. Um, and the whole time they filmed that doc um me and Raj the guy that I, I film with were friends and so I couldn't stop laughing like and they kept being like Andrew stop stop giggling you're trying to be serious and hot right now don't laugh yeah. and I kept being like I can't it's too weird there's a camera guy right there yeah 
and I've since filmed like adult content and stuff. So like, I know how to be a bit more professional, but like, it's really hard. I don't know how, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it without laughing. Yeah, it definitely brings a new dimension. And when it's like that third, that third person watching, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hot, but also I couldn't, I just, and I'm a giggly person, so I couldn't stop laughing. But um, that's an awesome connection. But for anybody who doesn't know who you are and what you do, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Yes. My name is Court Vox and I'm a sex and intimacy consultant based out of Los Angeles, California. I um, work in a few different modalities. Uh, My main modality of offering is in something called somatic sex education. Um, I'm also a surrogate partner intern. So um, I work with people to expand their sense of um, connection with their body, as well as um, expand their eroticism and sexuality. Um, We work on exploration and um, acceptance as themes, surrender. Um, Those are just a, a few of the things that people come to see me for. So nice. yeah, that's what I do. And so the part of the reason why I wanted to hit you up was because um, you were all over my Twitter the other day. And I was like, I just want to, I know I want to know who this person is. And secondly, as far as I can tell, you're not a person with disabilities, right? I don't consider myself a person with disabilities, no. And w- another one of the reasons why I wanted to reach out to you today was because I wanted to find a way to kind of discuss what might happen if you were to to work with a disabled yeah. client and how you could maybe work with disabled clients in your practice and some of the questions you might have had about it and so so have you yet had the chance to work with a disabled person in your journey as a body worker well i think you know there's there's different kinds of disabilities i definitely have worked with um people that have had um and immense anxiety um, and ADHD as, and they do identify those as, as disabilities. Yeah. Um, in terms of, um, I've also worked with a client who um, is on the kind of like middle to high end of the, the autism spectrum. Um, and that was a really beautiful experience. Um, they have an incredible sense of humor and, um, also an incredible hunger for um, kind of being in erotic space, love exploring more like kink type things, which was really fun. Um, And in terms of like people that have like more of like physical disabilities, you know, working with people that have scars or have had surgeries, it's definitely something. But um, yeah, I think that's kind of the extent I've had a few people, when I say few, two clients um, that identify as disabled persons and uh, reach out to me to want to work. Um, and you know, sometimes the 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 cost of my services is a little bit um, daunting, just because of you know all of the the uh, expenses that you know this person in particular had, just for living every day yeah um, and I Being guess disabled I, is not cheap no it's not um apparently and I think one of one of my questions for you is um you know when I think about working with someone who is in a wheelchair for example um 
you know, the, the amount of, of, you know, the work that I do is very presenceful. Um, I'm very in, right? When I'm working with somebody. Of course, somebody's going to knock on my door right now. Hang on one second. Okay. Sorry. Okay. One sec. They just leave a box there and walk away. Probably did. Yeah, they did. Okay. Cool. And I can't pick it up. Awesome. <laughs> you got it. So you got to deliver it. Yeah. It's all right. I'll figure it out later. Okay. <laughs> so um, you want to take that again from? Yeah. So, you know, the work I do is really about being present and it's very on and very on in terms of like being with someone when I'm, I usually spend um, three days like that's like the kind of barometer. I spend three day period with, with people um, up to eight days when I work with my teaching partner. And so it's, it's an immense amount of, um, of output of energy. Um, and I, I guess my curiosity is around, you know, like what kind of um, physical needs would that even work for someone who's in a wheelchair, for example, like to come spend three days with me or would I need to go to them? And what kind of um, additional output of energy would I need to, to put in to create, you know, a supportive atmosphere for them? That's a great question. Um, and you just dove right in there. Uh, I think, you know, you would probably have to consider what their needs were. And you might want to ask them pretty bluntly and blatantly, like, what do you, what, what are your access needs in a day? So how do you, how do you, what is the bathroom like for you? What kind of care needs do you need? What kind of like, like, can, so to better answer that for you, Corey, can you explain to me like what you would do in a, in a, in a typical couple day session? Yeah. So, um, you know, it would also vary like depending on, on what kind of disability someone had, because I do facilitate um, kind of learning through breath and movement and sound and voice. Yeah. And so depending on the, um, their abilities for movement, that would shift how I would um, take someone down that journey. Um, and specifically body work, I do a type of body work called sexological body work, um, which involves all of those things, breath, movement, sound, voice. I think... Um, you know, how I would lean into that probably is facilitating more of like a, a direct dialogue of, you know, like being able to expressly ask for what you want, which is incredibly hard for all people yeah. and all bodies. You know, I, I like this, or can you move your hands that way? Firmer touch, please. Um, so I think I, the approach would, would really be the same. I would just... Um, I think the communication would just need to be that much stronger. Um, and I think it would be for a lot of people with who are physically disabled. Communication is like really, really, we're very <laughs> good at it. We're very, it's a very strong part of what we do because we have to tell people what we need constantly. So mm -hmm. I don't think that part would be hard. I think what may be difficult for you in, in working with disabled clients, a lot of us haven't had the chance to express our wants. So you asking, what do you want? The client, the client might say, well, I don't know. Yeah. 
I've never been touched that way. Or I've never had the chance to, you know, touch a guy that way. Like I'm like, so I remember the first time I hired a sex worker, which again, not the same thing, but in a similar vein, I remember when I hired somebody for body work, I was so like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know. I have no idea what I want. And they asked me point blank, like, tell me what you want. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I know that I want to like have a good time with you and see if this, like, but I have no clue what it is that I want. So I think for you to do this with somebody who with a physical disability, and we can use me as the example, because sure. So if we were using, you know, my, somebody with my disability um, who maybe had never experienced sexuality before, you might want to spend or you mm-hmm. might want to spend a lot of time with them just talking the mm-hmm. session, like, you know, doing breath control, but also just getting them to share with you what they think they might like, you know, getting them to talk about, you know, some of the ways their bodies have been touched and what they want. Otherwise, like a lot of disabled people are touched by caregivers more than they are by like significant others. So most of our day is consumed with, with care work and we very rarely get to be touched on an intimate level. So getting them to like describe to you the differences between what is it like to be touched by a caregiver versus what is it like to be touched by an intimate partner? I think in, in, in that case, I you know, would approach it more like this. And that is, um, you know, if I say, what, how would you like to be touched? I don't know. I've never really been touched in this way. My answer would be, you know, maybe um, if you're open to it, we can go with chef special, which is we're gonna try a lot of different types of touch, a lot of different types of sensation. And you let me know. You let me know if you like that or if you would like more um, pressure or less pressure. Um, you know, even you know, with all bodies, that's an important conversation to have and really building that rapport, that, that trust with someone. Um, and it's not just the, the, the trust of, of the client with me, it's, it's the trust that's built with um, the opposite way, right? So I start to trust that that client will let me know if something is too firm or too soft, right? Yeah. And so I know that I'm not going over their boundaries, um, which is really important. And I know that they're gonna take care of themselves. And so I can give in a really um, palpable way. Yeah, I think also though, you were talking about, you know, the, the kind of asking them what they like and what feels good. Remember, but remember also that for certain people with disabilities, did they have different sensory needs? So being aware of like, you know, if I touch you this way, how like getting them to walk you through each step of how it feels so you can understand because with each person with a disability, their sensory needs are different. So asking them like, what, how does this feel? Can you describe this to me? Just so that you as the mm-hmm. worker have a sense of where you can go. And then once you know that, and once you build that trust, you can then with consent and love, of course, push that boundary and see it and see if you know going a little bit firmer is more comfortable or should it be softer or how what do they need can you say more about sensory needs i'm i'm curious yeah so just like you know some people with disabilities if you touch them even just a little bit it hurts or mm-hmm. if you 
touch them a little bit. They're like, that's not enough pressure. Some people with disabilities like a lot of pressure. Like when I'm engaged in body work with a, a sex worker, I like a lot of pressure. I like, you know, them to really put their hands on me. And I'm very, very tactile because of, because I can't move a lot of the other parts of my body. So the one place that I have access to is my hands. So I like to like grab and touch and pull and do all those things because, because that's what I'm able to do. But some people, if you were to touch them, even just a little bit, it would really hurt. And they wouldn't, they might not say it hurt because they don't want to like scare you or they might not know it hurt because they've never had had that sensation before. So I think just being really aware of, of saying to them beforehand, like before you start a session, like even in an email response, like, Hey, can you describe to me like what your sensory needs are? Like if I was to touch you this way, how do you think it would feel? Or when someone touches you X, how does it feel? Just so you have a baseline of how to, of how to go, how about to start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, um, I think too, you know, a lot of, before I even work with someone um, hands-on, there's quite a bit of dialogue. Um, I have an extensive, not extensive, but it's a, it's a two and a half page um, intake form, which asks a lot of questions about health, um, you know, past traumas, um, body image issues, like a plethora of things. Um, and before we even meet, we have a discussion around that. Um, and then we kind of, when we meet for the first time, we have another discussion. There's, so there's always a lot of processing around touch and a lot of processing around um, activities. And I think what you're talking about is incredibly important to be able to um, create dialogue for sure um, and space for safe space for them to, for anybody to say, you know, um, you know, that doesn't feel good or, or I want more of that. Yeah. And I mean, I think I had a quick look at your, I didn't look at the form, but I had a quick look at your website. It might be valuable for you to put some things about disability in those questionnaires that are like, Hey, like, do you experience physical disability? Are you a wheelchair user? Do you, just so that if they are, they can tick that box and then you have that baseline to start from. And it also would make a disabled client feel safer if, if that's in the questionnaire they then are like, oh, I can identify like this. I don't have to, because sometimes when we're doing body work with, when I'm doing body work with able-bodied people, I will not want to tell them the extent of my disabilities because I want to be cool and relaxed and not bring it up so much. But if you give me a space to say, yes, I'm disabled and I have, then I might be more willing to tell you that later. Thank you for that. I think that's something I'll definitely add to my intake form. And I just think it would, it just would also make it more accessible for them to be more forthcoming with you because you've given them permission to disclose. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay if you tell me you're disabled, I'm not going to like, you know, run away from you if you put this on the form. Um, so I think, I think that could be really helpful. Um, I'm curious, because you're able-bodied and because you are not a disabled person, I'm wondering if you're really honest, Court, what are some, of the, what are some things that you may have assumed about disabled bodies and disabled sexuality that you can share that we can talk through today? You know, before I started doing this, I think I would have had a lot more, you know, a, a lot more things to say, but I, 
you know, in, in studying just the body in general and a, a number of different types of bodies, um, I, I think I'm, I'm really open to different types of bodies and different um, presentations of bodies. I think the one thing that like, it just feels, you know, as I'm even thinking about it, it feels sticky in my body. Um, it feels like, um, like cr I use the word crunchy, right? Crunchy. <laughs> Is, you know, somebody that does have um, a physical disability, this feeling of not wanting to hurt them, right? Of seeing their body and, and being like, I don't want to physically hurt them um, by moving something in a wrong way or, so I think that's that would be the biggest thing that comes up for me. Um, okay, well to answer that, uh, some disabled people, myself included, like like pain and like not that we like pain, but we like pain in essential context too. Because what it does, pain is a natural um, pain is a pain can can shift one pain from another. So if I'm having body pain and you do something to me with consent that's consensual pain, then mm -hmm. my body pain doesn't hurt so much because you've I'm focused on in on this. Also, the idea that and this is a really common one, the idea that people think that we're so fragile that we're gonna break if you touch us, that's mm -hmm. I mean, for some people, yes, totally that's true. But the hope is that if you put do you have a physical disability? How does it affect you on the form? They would say, yes, when you touch me here, this could be, you know, I'm very sensitive to touch. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they would tell you that. Otherwise, I would, you know, I would suggest for you that you just treat them like they weren't fragile. And if it hurts, they'll mm -hmm. say, ow, and they'll stop you and, you, and you'll stop. Um, I think the fear of not wanting to hurt them kind of gets in people's ways. And I always say this to guys, that I'm going to sleep with, like, you're not going to hurt me. And if you hurt me, I'll stop you and mm -hmm. say, stop. And you'll stop full stop. Like, and as I said, for me personally, as a wheelchair user, I like a little bit of pain in my play. So mm -hmm. like for the people that I work with, I generally don't stop them unless it really, really hurts. But um, I think this mythology of like, I'm going to hurt them and goes in and goes, way deeper than just I'm gonna hurt them it goes into like oh they're innocent they're like weak and I can't hurt them and I, I mean I'm sure this is not you consciously thinking this but this is like what what the where it comes from it's like oh I'm weak and I'm angelic and how could you hurt this poor soul like no I can be a I can be a, a dirty little fucker too so like I think that Dude, that part that part I'm very clear on that uh <laughs> Uh, people with disabilities can and are dirty little fuckers. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I, I have like a little bit of a reframe around pain for you that, you know, maybe just to consider is sure. it, in, in my work, I don't talk about, I don't talk about, um, at least with, with sensation play. Um, I talk about impact, deep impact or deep sensation as opposed to like feather light touch and everything in between. Um, because I think sometimes pain, the, the concept of pain can be really scary for people. Um, but, you know, like you said, you, you might like a really deep pressure or a deep impact from a hand or a fist even. Um, and that might be really pleasurable for you. And so like, 
when you talk about pain and pleasure, I think for some people, deep impact, which a lot of people consider to be pain, is actually pleasurable. So this idea that um, there's light sensation and deep sensation is kind of like just a little bit of a reframe. Yeah, yeah. Like for me, I think then if I'm gonna if I'm gonna reframe my experience of pain in a playable context, like I, I do really enjoy deep sensation. Then I like to be like very like I'll be really blunt when I'm having sex with the person. I like them to choke me a little bit, but not because I want to get choked, but because I like the pressure like yeah. on your on your throat because it it it's calming in a weird way, and it's like all right, well this is happening, and I I I can't I can't move. So I might as well just lean into it. And for me as a disabled person, like I have a lot of spasms and pain in my body constantly, even when I'm like enjoying what I'm doing and always it still hurts. So mm-hmm. that pressure that somebody puts a hand in my throat, like gently enough, but forcefully enough that it's there reminds me of like, oh, I can't, there's nothing I can do here. So I have to just relax. Yeah, it's like a, a pure moment of surrender. Yeah. Exactly. And so, like, I think, you know, for me, as a disabled person, when I do body work with people like that's one of my favorite things to have done, because it centers me in that moment with them. And it forces me to not forces me, but it allows me to, like, let go of everything else that's happening and focus in on that right there. Mm-hmm. Love that. So um, I don't know what my question was. Oh, did you have any other? Did you have any other? Um, any other misconceptions about disability that I can clear up for you? And again, you're not going to be an asshole if you bring them out. You can just totally. I, I think that was the the biggest one, you know. And obviously, when we talk about disability, there's such a, a wide range of of people that identify with disability. I think um, sometimes a mental disability or an emotional disability can be more um, alarming than a physical one because it is, um, it's not seen, right? You know, yeah. I, have, I have people in my personal life who are um, bipolar and also um, ADHD and, you know, have other kind of things going on. and you know, they present very normative, right? They present very able-bodied. And really those things are, are things that get in the way of, of their, their learning and their growth and their even like day-to-day stuff. And so it's harder sometimes uh, as a practitioner to kind of dissect some of those um, than the physical disabilities, which are, are kind of more obvious. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think for somebody with invisible disabilities like that, I think they do, and I know from people that I've spoken to on this show, they do so much work to present this normative shell of themselves so that you don't think they're quote unquote crazy or quote unquote weird or they have, you know, problems. They do so much work to center themselves that by the time they're done their day, they're exhausted. So, I would say, I wouldn't say one is better than the other, and I don't, I don't want to claim that. What, I'm, what I would say is that each thing is, having a physical disability is different than having an invisible disability, and you can also have 
both at the same time. Like I have a physical disability and depression and I have like, so I have multiple disabilities going on all at once. And so like, I think, you know, we just have to be, I think people with invisible disabilities need to be given space to share that. I think disclosure of disability is, is not talked about hardly enough, which is a real shame because the more and more people talk about it, the more and more you realize how many people actually have disabilities but never felt safe to, to share that. Mm-hmm. And then like, I think in your work, the more and more people can talk about disability, the better it is for them because they can then say I'm disabled and I, I deserve touch. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think all bodies deserve touch and deserve um, and are sexual. All bodies yeah. are, are sexual to an extent, you know? Um, complete, and I completely agree with that. Uh, I'm just going to move on to my next thing here. Um, so we kind of touched on this a little bit a few minutes ago, but can you sort of more formally guide me through what a typical session might look like? And then can we explore some ways with each part to make it more accessible? Yeah, I mean, I... Sessions kind of look different um, depending on what um, people are identifying as, as wanting to work through, right? So um, when I when I ask people to fill out their intake form and I, and I start to look through um, their past and like where they are currently and, and kind of like their goals and intentions for our work together, it start, there starts to become like patterns that show up and themes, right? So whether those are themes around um, body acceptance um, or um, body positivity can also be themes around like surrender, um, themes around asking for what you want, um, things like that. And so from there, I kind of craft um, the day around a theme. So if we're working around surrender, um, a day might look like really, what does that mean? What does that look like? Does surrender look like um, playing um, in role play and more in like traditional dominance and submission roles or power of surrender and intimacy? Um, or does it look like really being cared for? Like, like what does it feel to be cared for and allowing that care to happen? So I think, you know, surrender as a theme is different and shows up differently for specific people. Um, you know, I think for working with somebody who is physically disabled, I, I guess my question, it would right away be, you know, how will you get here um, in the morning? And is it easier for me to come to you? Um, so more like logistical questions, I think, um, so that that you that you're comfortable and and feel like you're in a safe enough space. I mean, I think, I think again, for your intake form to make sense for people, it might be, you might want to put that in there. Like, Hey, if you have visual disability, can you describe how you'll get here? And if they say like, I can figure it out. Great. And if they say like, I need more supports, then you can decide in your second interview, like, do you want me to come to you? What would be easier? Because part of me is like, well, I'd want the really attractive man to carry me up the stairs. So mm-hmm. I would just show up and hope that would happen, but that's not fair to you. And so, like, I would probably say to you, like, oh, you should, like, if you were in Toronto here, I would say, like, come to my place because it's more accessible and we can do it there. Mm-hmm. But 
part of me is like, oh no, I, I part of me would want to go to your space to see how you would adapt your space for a disabled person. Yeah, I mean, I I do um, I do residential and non-residential immersions with clients. So sometimes clients will stay with me. They'll um, they'll have their own room and own bathroom, and at the end of our day, we eat a dinner together, and then you know they go to their room. I go to mine. We have our our space, um, and so I I don't know. Is that something that you like you personally would be able to do? Um, that's a curiosity I have. I mean, I would have for me personally. I'd have to. I'd have to get an attendant care worker to come with me to do all my care stuff because it would be super awkward if I was like, "Hey, you want to help me like use the bathroom also?" And that's. It. I mean, like that goes to like some really yeah. personal places that like, I have no problem with it, but it's it's probably way outside your purview. So that's a lot. But I think you know, I'd have to bring a person with me. There's a whole bunch more of if I come to you like what I would have to do but I think if you came to me what would be really interesting is to see to have you as the somatic worker see what a disabled person does in their day and see like like I'd love to show you how my care workers get me up and how I use the bathroom and all the things that I require so that you can understand like when I say to you here's what I want or here's why Mm -hmm. I want to surrender or when I explain to you like why I want to get choked by the hot dude during our play you'll see it's because so much of my life is dedicated to just getting out of bed so when I get to immerse myself in pleasure like that's fun yeah I mean I think so you um I totally get that you know all the things that you you do are those tedious things and and like being in space with me is more about leaning into pleasure and I think you know, if I were to like get this so-called tour of like your life, I, I think I, I would really be focusing on like how your body moves and how um, like what your capacity for movement is and the type of movement that maybe we um, lean into and then also like expand upon. Um, but I think understanding why you want to be choked or why you like a specific thing are you there? Yep. Okay. Something went wrong. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily need to know the why, and I don't push that with people. Um, there's a a secret intimate out of New York um, named Don Shuey, who um, is an incredible human and practitioner, and he, he has this phrase that he says, "Why ask why?" Um, it's like I, you know, I really like this, and I don't know why. It's like, well, do you like it? Yes then do you need to know why? <laughs> it's like, nope, not really. Like um, sometimes when we start to like try to make sense of it or pathologize something, it starts to lose the sexy a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's like, no, just like, if you like it, we're not hurting anybody. It's consensual. Like, let's just go with it. Um, I think for me as a disabled person, the why is important mm. when I'm talking to able-bodied people, especially about sex, because they don't often ask the why they ask pretty much only about the mechanics of how you how you do intimacy or how you have pleasure or like they always want to know how they never want to know why so for me why is a I love the question why because it opens up so many different avenues and and allows me to share parts of myself so I totally get that sometimes you shouldn't ask why because it like dilutes things a little bit but also 
for me, I think it enriches things. And so you you can see why the moment means so much or could mean so much. Yeah, cool. I mean, I think, um, thank you for letting me know what you need. That's a, um, a big part of this. Totally. Um, my next question for you is... The next question. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to be all professional now. Uh, my next question for you is, in one of the blogs that I, that I read when I was doing research for you, Mm-hmm. or about you today um you talk about the different erogenous zones mm-hmm. and so many disabled people that i know have different erogenous zones as a result of paralysis or sensory issues or just you know just the way their disabled body work can mm-hmm. we go over some of the some of the common and less common erogenous zones and consider and just talk about how they might feel for disabled people yeah I think I, um, before I, I name some of them, there's there's more than 31 um, between um, female and male identifying bodies. So 31, it's a lot. Um, yeah. And I will say, you know, I sometimes will do like an exploration of erogenous zones with, with clients. Um, and, you know, not all of them are erogenous for everybody, right? So that's really about like experimenting. Like, does this feel pleasurable or does this, no, some people are like, no, my nipples do nothing for me. Um, so nipples are that's a common a one. My nipples do everything for me. That's... Well, you lucky guy, because mine do nothing for me. So what? Nothing. Oh, they're my favorite. It's like, it's like wired to my, to my junk. Wired. Right. I mean, I think that's, you know, when people have like, sensitive nipples that's usually the response is that they're wired to their genitals but um yeah nothing there for me really um armpits on the other hand are a huge erogenous zone for me personally um i think it's something that's overlooked in general um it's also something that's fetishized uh, yeah a lot i mean but lot. i you know for me as a disabled person having my armpits play with is I agree with you on one of my favorite things. And also it's, it's a really accessible mm-hmm. body part for me. If I'm with a partner who also likes that, yeah, they don't have to do a lot of moving for me to reach that area. I mean, even just within the space, I mean, the ears are erogenous zones. Um, so not just the tissue, but like the way that sound resonates in the ear can be very erogenous. Um, the eyelids. Um, wow, the you- eyelids, which... You know, looking, thinking about disability specifically, that would be really great for uh-huh. somebody who maybe has a lot of paralysis or can't move a lot, or like maybe like one of the erogenous things you could do with a partner is like blow in their eyelids if, it, if they wanted you to, if they couldn't move a lot. And that was like their one. Cause I know a lot of people with disabilities who don't have a lot of movement and can only move their eyes. Um, so that, I mean, I didn't realize that the eyelids were a thing that could be really hot. Um, also, the tip of the nose. Um, the lips, um, the neck, so different parts of the neck, you know, the, the side of the neck. As you said, you know, some people really like to be kissed on their neck. Some people really like to be held with a, a, a firm grasp. It's a death or, grip. Yeah, death grip or, or AKA choked. Um, so the neck is in Raja's zone. Um, obviously the, the nipples we talked about, the sides of the body. So um, the sides of the rib cage can be very sensitive. Um, also, the belly, um, 
the pubic bone just a, above the genitals for many people is, is very sensitive. Yeah. For, for women, um, actually this goes for men too, but just anat anatomically women, their, their clitoris often, there's something called clitoral legs. So it, when you see the clitoris, it's not just the clitoris, it has legs and nerve endings that a lot of times go down into the thighs even. So the thighs can be an incredibly erogenous zone for men and women. Um, obviously for, I'll just talk about men for a second, but the, um, the testicles or ball sack, the cock, there's various parts in the cock. Um, the frenulum, which is that piece just where the, the shaft kind of meets the, the corona on the front side. Um, the head of the piece or the corona. Um, you have uh, the perineum, which is commonly known as the taint, which is that place between your ball sack and anus. Um, very sensitive um, with different types of touch. So really sensitive light touch can be really pleasurable or really firm pressure there um, can activate the prostate inside. Um, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking about that area for my disabled body, like how difficult it would be to get there because my legs mm. are so spastic. And so I think, you know, if you're working with a disabled client in these areas, you might, before you do anything, you might want to like stretch with them and you might want to like just get their body to get their body to just relax. Because even though I can be put in a lay down position and I can totally have that done to me to get my, to get my spasms to go away. So you can access those areas can be really hard so like having and having discussions about like you know what are your spasms like if i touch you here would that be okay like how how is it gonna feel if i try to access your like yeah. taint how would it feel like and not because you want to be like dirty and sexual maybe you do but like but like make but it like, make it into a game andrew <laughs> i mean I'm, I'm here for that let's what are we what are we, what are we playing and what are you playing <laughs> um but no but like you know asking about like how you know, can I move your legs to do this? Can I move your legs to get in there? Because in, with an able-bodied person, um, you could more easily get access to that. Whereas with my body, as spastic and as tight as it is, getting to those like promised land spots will be super difficult. Thank you for naming that. I, I'm also, I would be curious um, to just know like if, if you were to go into a spasm like that, like, is there anything that you would want me to do to help you? Or, or would you like me to take, remove my hands or? I mean, back away. So don't punch you in the balls by accident. Because uh, sometimes you. the spasms can be really intense. And I've okay. had moments with people that I've slept with where I didn't mean to have a spasm. And I definitely punched them in the balls. Mm -hmm. Or like, I had a sexual encounter once with somebody where, I was giving them head and I spasmed and <laughs> and something something scared me in the room and I bit down on their dick. Oh no. <laughs> unintentionally and I felt so bad because I was like I, how do I explain to this dude that doesn't understand my disability that mm. I didn't mean to like to bite his dick off. I just had a spasm. So so I would say when you have the spasm like take like back away so you don't get hurt and also like after the spasm is done, give the person you're with a minute to like to just mm. be in their body for a minute and like maybe 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 
you know, you touch them in different areas so that they don't, so that they're not. Right. So they can relax. Yeah, I think, you know, what is true about when I work with all bodies is that all bodies are, are different, right? Even in, in um, able bodies, you know, their reaction to things is different than somebody else's. And so it's, it's constant um, checking in and a constant um, asking, you know, and I think it, it wouldn't be, obviously it would be different because there's like certain things to consider, but in terms of like an approach, I don't know that it would be much different than the way I approach an able body. I think you would just, I think to make them feel, and this, this isn't for every disabled person, but if you had yeah. me as a client, I would want you to use the word disabled. I'd want you to talk about the fact that I'm a disabled person. I'd want you to, to bring up my spasms, bring up all those things, because that's a part of who I am. And if we're going to do this, like you said earlier, you know, like part of your job is building trust with me. So like, if we're going to do that, then I would want to trust that you're going to like, you're going to use language that I that I am okay with that I feel like you see the fact that I'm a disabled person so for me like if we're having a session about surrender I'd probably want you to call me like a dirty cripple and then we'd mess around like that's what I like that's what I like because because it you know it's it, some like transgressive play here huh yeah, yeah a little bit um but you know it, that's kind of what I I like a partner to use that language because it shows that like this is you see who I am and you're not afraid to go there because I think so many people when they engage in body work or sexuality with a disabled person they're so scared to do anything wrong like you said earlier like you know they're so worried about our fragility that they don't dare play and my thing with anybody that I'm intimate with in whatever way is I like to play because mm -hmm. that it makes it less so much of the of the body work that I do with care workers around my needs and stuff are is clinical and so when right. i get in a space where i get to relax playing with somebody and making a joke or being a bit flirty or being a bit like inappropriate that's fun because i never get to do that we are mm -hmm. taught as disabled people when we're when our bodies are being touched particularly by care workers that it's very clinical it's very it's very there's a there's a very clear boundary of what you're supposed to do so the minute i'm allowed to with consent and love with another person, like go into a space and take down a little bit of those boundaries and play with that. That's the whole, that's, that's new for me. Yeah. I love that. I love that you're able to like express that part of yourself. I think play for a lot of people is incredibly rewarding. And, you know, we take sexuality so seriously sometimes. And it's like, you know, a part of, part of, you know, I do a lot of work around fantasy and role play and um, the kind of common thing that I hear from people is, well, I've tried it and I just couldn't stop laughing. And the response to that is, well, wasn't that an intimate moment you created? Right? Yeah, laughter is good. Like laughter is like- It's really what, sexy to laugh. It's so fun to do. My, my, my number one sex worker that I see here all the time pre-pandemic, we spend the first 45 minutes of our sessions sitting with each other naked in my bed, trying to make each other laugh. Cause it's <laughs> funny, it's fun. And it makes us both relax. So right. that by the time I'm, I'm balls deep in him, then right. we're, it's relaxed and it's not so scary. And so I think, you know, 
part of what I do in a lot of in a lot of my work as a disability consultant in queer sexuality is getting people to relax around the idea that like having sex with me can be fun you don't have to do it to please me or to make me to make my poor disabled body feel better like you can also have fun Mm -hmm. and I can please you too and so like pretending we were in a session I would want to make sure that I pleased you too like that's that to me is really important well I I actually want to say something a little bit about that because um, I think that's a commonality just in general is that there's this thought of like wanting to please, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and I think when, when we can kind of have this agreement that I'm going to take care of my own pleasure in terms of my needs and my wants and desires, and I trust that you will also be communicative of those things, there be, starts to become this pleasure loop where, um, you know, I trust that you are having a good time, that you are enjoying yourself. And, and if you're not, you'll let me know. And, and in that, I am able to permission myself to, to do the same. And so instead of thinking about, oh, I, wonder if, I wonder if I'm pleasing them, or I wonder if they're having a good time, or um, I wonder if, if they're here for the right reasons, you are instead in your pleasure and allowing them to be in theirs. So, and that's something that is a somatic learning and it is something that um, is a practice. It's not something that is just like happens. It's kind of been cultured out of us since we were really little. Um, And so like owning that aspect of your own pleasure I think is really important. I mean, I think that's an important thing for me to hear as a disabled person who's, you know, been with people because like, I spend so much time preoccupied in, am I pleasing this person? And I'm not, I don't spend enough time in, are you, are you enjoying yourself right now? Are you, are you having fun? And I don't do that enough. My whole thing sexually as a disabled person has been to, if I don't please this person, I've done something wrong. Mm. And I like, I don't know if that's, and for me, that's totally wrapped up in disability because if I don't, if I don't fuck you the right way or, 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 you know, if I don't, perform the right way you already think i'm less than because i'm disabled so if i don't do this then i'm even lesser than you thought i was so like that that's a nice reminder to just remind myself to like no the person you're with can figure out their own pleasure and so can you and it'll it'll be all right well and and that's kind of like this assurance that you're going to both walk away with something that you want well only one of us is going to walk away so i don't (laughs) thank you You both move away um, knowing that you're, you're both in pleasure um, instead of both of you kind of leaving, being like, did he like that? I don't know if he liked that. I, I, I was thinking about if he was enjoying it the whole time, you know? So, yeah. Awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you also wrote in your work, and you talk about full body orgasm, and I immediately kind of glommed onto this because I was like, oh, cool. Because so many people with disabilities and so many folks with disabilities have trouble having orgasms with their hands and masturbating and self-pleasure, which is why, you know, I don't know if you did any research on me, but which is why I am starting a, a sex toy company for and by disabled people with my sister. It's awesome. all about hands-free sex um, and hands-free toys. So, so many of us have trouble using our hands 
and our bodies for pleasure because of pain um, and all that stuff. So how do you think that we can market the full body orgasm or orgasmic energy to disabled people? To market it. Um, well, not market it, but even like talk about it with respect to like disability. I mean, so I want to like, I just actually wrote about orgasm in general for men uh, recently. And I think, um, you know, something that I've really kind of been, been able to identify in my own body as a, as a male identifying body, as a penis owner, having worked with women and vagina owners is that there is a difference between orgasm and ejaculation, right? Yeah. And, um, orgasmic energy is different than orgasm necessarily. So, you know, to feel orgasmic energy can feel a lot like arousal. And, you know, as human bodies, we can stay in arousal for a long time without reaching climax, which would be considered um, was what most people think of as orgasm um, or ejaculation. It's when there's a climax. But, you know, you can bring yourself to this high, high place, which is like heightened arousal, where you're really cultivating orgasmic energy in your body. And sometimes that includes genitals and it doesn't have to. Um, you know, obviously this would be different with um, a disabled body because there might be parts that there is numbness, right? Yeah. Or no feeling at all. But really like looking at the body as a, as a pleasure canvas rather than um, just solely looking at the genitals as a place for um, um, pleasure and, and also erotic pleasure. There was, um, in my training, there was this video uh, about, I think it was in my surrogate training, about a client that worked with a surrogate um, out of um, San Francisco. He was a quadriplegic and, and um, he was a quadriplegic due to a really bad accident he was in. And so he had prior to um, being um, disabled had identified it as having this very full um, sexual life. And it was something that he spent a lot of time um, after his accident kind of sad and angry about until he met this person. And he really had no feeling in, in most of his body except his pinky. And his pinky finger sort of became his cock, the way he talked about his pinky finger. Because I feel like I've heard this story before. Right? Uh, um, and like he just had so much sensation in his pinky that that was where his, his like main focus of arousal was. And this was, you know, probably by really exploring his body and, and finding like, where do you feel pleasure? Where is there sensation and kind of doing like a sensation mapping of the whole body. Um, but just to get back to it, the, you know, the body from an orgasmic potential, when you are able to to create a heightened experience of sensation in the whole body, you know, wake up those neurons and activity in your nervous system, in your feet and in your legs and in your head and your ears, your back, your chest, your, your butt, your, all of it. When you find, when you do get to that place of ejaculation and like that big O, right? That big O moment, 
you've really cultivated um, an all, that's when you've cultivated an all body orgasm, right? It's really hard to have a full body orgasm when you're just focused on one area of the body. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's why I think it's so valuable for disabled people to hear that because sometimes because of the ways, like for me to use the bathroom, I use a catheter. For me, like sometimes I don't love how my genitals feel. So it, knowing that I can have a full body orgasm and get to a place of pleasure that doesn't rely on my penis and doesn't rely on like blasting my cum everywhere, which is amazing and fun. But if like, if you can't do that, like it's okay. And I think it's important for disabled people who are listening to hear that right now, however you access pleasure, that's okay. And however, whatever you define as, as an orgasm is an orgasm. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, there's also like, you know, there's also like little, um, shocks that happen in the body sometimes where our body will kind of, you know, have it almost looks like a convulsion, right? Yeah, you kind of see it after sometimes when I'm with a dude, you'll see it after the at right after they fully ejaculate, they'll kind of convulse for not yeah. convulse, but they'll have like, yeah, I don't know how to describe it, but they'll do that for two minutes afterwards. Yeah, and it, you know, that's that comes down to awareness too. If, if you know, some people will just come right and stop. They'll come. They're like, I'm done. They get up and they go to the shower and or. They get oh yeah, up. I've been with dudes who do that. That and those are my least favorite sexual encounters. Right. I like to kind of to. I'll be really blunt because why not? It's my show. Uh, <laughs> I like to really, you know, to kind of lie in the juices with somebody for a minute. You rub it in, don't you? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like to be the dirty cripple that I am inside. Yeah. Uh, but no, I like. I like to. I like to. And I remember at one point in my youth, because I'm old now, but in my youth, I remember like having multiple orgasms with somebody and they happened in like quick succession. Mm -hmm. And I was, I wasn't scared, but I was like, this has never happened before. What, what, what's going on? And I remember really liking that and never really being able to have that since. And so like, I kind of miss it, but I do enjoy all the stuff, pre-orgasm, post-orgasm, post-cum, like all that stuff, because it centers me in my disabled body in that moment. I think that's really important. And if if let's talk about like, um, so just to go back to that moment of where you're having those like kind of shaking things. Um, that the tremors. And tremors, yeah. Um, is, you know, in somatic sex education, we call it savoring, right? So after you've had this big, um, release, like allowing the body to just savor the moment, right? Of just allowing the body to be like, oh, feel what the feeling is now. What's the sensation of the body now? And there's still things going on, right? But when we end it and we reach for that towel or we just start to speak immediately or um, end touch completely, we put a halt to something that most likely has a long tail at the end. Um, and so just allowing, like allowing five minutes even after um, a big experience like that to, to just feel into the sensation that's happening. And I mean, I think for disabled people um, to hear that too, to kind of save at the moment, so much of what we do with our care and with our bodies and with care workers and attending care workers is like, they help you in the bathroom, they get you up and then it's done and they leave. And then like, obviously, like I said, those 
boundaries have to be there. So to be in a space where you can just let go. And sometimes when I've finished ejaculating with somebody, I will have an immediate sense of like, oh, I'm ashamed because now they now now that we're done fucking and they have to see how disabled I am now. Like I get really there have been moments in my sexual experience where I got re- really shy the minute I, the minute like that they came all over me and I came all over them that's great five seconds after I'm like oh god you're gonna realize how disabled I am and so to be reminded to like savor the moment I don't often do that with my body a lot I sometimes will actually this is not a question that I wrote down but since you're here I figured I could ask you mm-hmm. sometimes in my life because I don't because I'm not able to masturbate a lot on my own or ever really because of pain sometimes my body will auto ejaculate and I feel sometimes like super ashamed about that because I'll be I watching congratulations oh <laughs> no thank you <laughs> but, but I, I mean I feel super ashamed about that because I'll be watching like you know Grey's Anatomy or some like non-sexual thing and my body will just oh time for orgasm and like I feel so ashamed but looking back on some of the stuff you've said today like you talked about how there's a crest of like the feeling and how you can feel in your body. When I, when I'm about to like five minutes before that happens, I can feel like the, the vibration of my body change a little bit. Like, Oh, something is going to happen now. I don't know what it is. I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure I know what it is, but like, I don't. So I guess my question is like in your work as a body worker is auto ejaculation a thing that happens a lot. Is it. You mean just like, just from just like sitting, um, yeah, I, I I have had clients that have you know said like oh I was wearing a sh- uh, sweater, and it just had like it just kept rubbing against my nipples and I just came from that, um, you know or some clients will say you know I was being fucked and like I came hands free, um, and women will have reported you know just having like orgasm by hearing something right so. It's possible. I, I would say it's not as uh, it's not as common, but it's definitely possible. Okay. Well, I feel less weird about it now. Um, Sometimes it's like uh, you know, just acknowledging and that there's something there's shame there, right? Oof. You know, and saying like, I see you, shame. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and I think that's, I think, you know that's really valuable too because i do have a lot of shame when i when i auto ejaculate and i'm like i'll just be sitting here watching Grey's Anatomy or something or some like stupid show and i'll just oh i just came because then i have to then call my care worker and be like hey had an accident or like you don't want to say you don't want to say you're like attending care worker hey i just blasted everywhere can you come and like like clean this for me so it's super awkward because you don't want to put you don't want to make it awkward for them so you have to be like oh yeah I had an accident and then they come and see what happened and you have to just be like oh sorry I mean I think what's what's also probably true is that those caretakers need to have some sort of additional training um, and additional kind of learning around sexuality because just my experience with medical professionals in general is that um it's not really like sex positive space, right? Yeah, it isn't. And so like knowing like this is a a body, this is a body, right? And, you know, I have a teacher in Canada 
and um, we were in a class and, and somebody said, well, we were talking about anal and the, the person said, well, what if, what if like I put my finger up there and there, there's poop? And she goes, well, then there's poop up there. And he goes, well, what if I don't, what if I, I get grossed out about poop doing anal? And she goes, then don't do anal. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's like, it's a body, you know, it's a, it's also for many people, it's a dual purpose hole, right? Yeah. And, and kind of just recognizing like, this is part of the body, right? It has stuff come out of it. And if you have a problem with that, you know, maybe look at what that's about. Um, yeah. And also just realizing that there's also a ton of pleasure potential there too. Um, but I feel like dual purpose hole should be someone's drag name if it's not already. What is it? I feel like dual purpose hole should be someone's, <laughs> someone's drag yes. name if it isn't already. Like, yes. on Drag Race tonight. I would watch somebody if, if they had. I would too. I would really watch that. But sorry, you were saying. Well, you were just talking about, you know, when you have these um, ejaculations that, that occur and, you know, maybe the reframe with your your caretaker is, um, you know, I don't want to apologize for these anymore. I don't want to see these as accidents. I want to maybe celebrate these as like, try, like lean into them being like good things. You know, not everybody's body can do this and mine does. Mine, yeah. My body has this capacity. And so I'm, I'm not going to apologize for it anymore. Wow. I never, you know, I've, it's been happening to me for a few years since I lost the ability to masturbate back in like, I want to say 2016, early 2016, lost the ability to masturbate and pee in the same week. Wow. That was a horrible week. And uh, <laughs> and so then I would watch something erotic or not erotic and my body would just come and I wouldn't be hard and I wouldn't be aroused. My body would just, and I would feel, so I would, it wouldn't, I would be angry when it was happening as I was coming. Cause I'd be like, great. I didn't even get to enjoy that. Mm. I didn't even get to like, I would get angry because, you know, leading up to coming, you're supposed to have all this pleasure and it's supposed to feel really good. And my body wasn't doing that. And so I got really, really annoyed because I was like, this is not fair. I'm having these great orgasms, which are awesome, but I'm not enjoying them. Do you have a reframe for that? I wonder what, what would happen if you just decided to enjoy them? Whoa. Well, wow. well, my mind is blown. Um, <laughs> who knows? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> On the next episode. <laughs> who knows? I mean, it's totally, that's totally a possibility. And I will, the next time I do it, you might get a text from me that's like, so. Please, please text me. I want to know. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, it hasn't happened in a while, but I remember the last time it happened, which is a couple of weeks ago. I was so angry, not at anybody, but while well, I was mad at myself, because I was like, fuck, I wanted to. Because I, I haven't had sex in a year because of the pandemic. So mm -hmm. I haven't been touched by anybody in a year. So even you and I talking about touch right now, it's like, ooh, what's that? That feels weird because I haven't done that since mm -hmm. February 2020, which is, feels like a century ago. So long story short, next time I do it, I'll text you and yeah. I'll let you know. Well, you have my number. I do. I do. <laughs> I, somewhere I do. Sure. Um, so my last question to you, Corbox is is how has this conversation changed your view on your work sex and disability if it has at all 
You know, I, I'm I'm open to working with with all bodies. Uh, truly, um, I can say this has been a super fun conversation with you. It's been really educational, um, but just like super fun too. I you have such a great sense of humor and just um, like the way that you talk about sex is fun and and um, like a little edgy and I like that. You know, just like I, I feel like I can talk openly and freely with you. It's not like I'm I'm holding back. So. Well, thank you. And I, I hope, I hope, and I would love to um, go back to one of the first things you said way at the beginning. You said, you know, you're the cost of what you're doing it can be somewhat prohibitive. Mm-hmm. Can, I'd love to maybe off the air, look at some of your stuff and find ways to make it more accessible for disabled clients if they wanted to. Um, that, yeah. Both financially and otherwise, just so that like, maybe they can bring an attendant and the attendant can go free or maybe there's like a half off thing they can do or like maybe just so that if you wanted to cater to disabled clients or maybe you have one day a month where you're like hey you know what it's hot gimp day today or something <laughs> don't call it that but it could be i'm gonna call it that you know you can call it that <laughs> yeah like it could be like hot disabled person day or something and like you know you have a day where you look at the costs and look at what they can afford and say look you know, maybe maybe it is you pay half or you pay a portion or we do it in four installments or something so that, that they can have yeah, better I, access. I appreciate that. And I, I've definitely thought about ways just with the, the person that reached out to me to work together. I've thought about different, you know, even session structures that might work better for them um, to try and, and accommodate. Um, but I, I think what's real is that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a body worker, right? I am a sex and intimacy coach. I work for myself. And, of course. Um, and the work that I do, I consider it to be valuable. And it's also intense work. It's not something that I can, you know, kind of sit at a computer and get a coffee. And it's like very laser focused. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's a lot of other factors too. There's, there's other people that can't afford um, what I do just because they can't afford it. Um, yeah yeah totally it's like you know i i do think about ways to give back to community in general and a lot of that is through the writing that i put out into the world um i've seen your posts i was like oh he has lots to say and also those pictures are really nice (laughs) the the pictures are bait i the pictures are really there pull you in and well it worked i was like he's hot and he's talking about orgasms (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, and, and that part feeds me as well. You know, it feels like a pleasure loop. I'm giving information and also being able to express myself through photo and video. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think you should ever undercut what you do or or, or devalue the cost of what you do. But, I, you know, looking at ways to 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 engage the community that like because disabled people are so often undertouched and not given chances to explore this looking at ways that you can use your platform to to give yeah. to them and then the, then they give you their experience with disability that will inform your work more and it could be symbiotic in that way absolutely um i have no more questions and i could shamelessly flirt with you on the record but that feels <laughs> unnecessary so <laughs> how do the people um get a hold of you how can they follow your work how can they sure trap over your photos how do they do that yeah, they can thirst trap my photos on Instagram. 
Uh, my main Instagram account is courtvox. That's C-O-U-R-T-V-O-X, just my name. And then my website is thebodyvox. Uh, that's T-H-E-B-O-D-Y-V-O-X.com. And um, yeah, that's how you find me. Awesome. And and when are you going to send me the unreleased single of For Now and Forever? <laughs> For Now Forever. I don't know that I have any recordings of it that are not on a on, on a um, cassette tape. Isn't that scary? What? Well, you're going to have to mail me that because I'm going to have <laughs> to. Um, I need to listen. <laughs> yeah. But try, like, sometimes Charlie will post like uh, throwback photos of us. It's, it's oh, he's going to he's going to get a text the minute this is over being like, what? Excuse yeah, for, for now, forever. Um, well, this is such a great interview, and thank you so much for sitting down yeah. with me today and for being a guest on Disability After Dark. Um, it, it was such a pleasure, and you seem like an awesome guy, and I'd love to stay in touch. You too. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. That was my episode with Court Vox. Really awesome. Really loved having him and loved having that conversation. I just want to say a quick thing before we do the exit thing you always hear. I want to say that I have opened up applications for, I'm looking for new guests for the Palsy and the Pandemic series where we talk about um, our experiences as disabled people during this global pandemic we're going through. So it's basically season two of Quarantine and Chill, but it's called Palsy and the Pandemic. And I would love for you to be a part of that. So if you want to be a part of that, you can go to, you can email me at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com and use the subject line palsy and the pandemic. And we'd love to have you on the show because we need to be talking about how we've been feeling about this whole trash fire of a year as disabled people. So let's do that here. So apply. I'd love to have you. And those episodes will come out separately from the main episode like you heard today. They'll come out every Friday. So I'd love for you to be a part of that. And so send me an email. Okay, cool. But now I'm on to the ending. Thanks for listening. Bye.
Alright, that was another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories, a part of the Wheels on the Ground network. I'm really, really happy you came to this one. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to www.drewgerza.com and you can follow me on all my socials at, at DrewGerza. So Instagram and Twitter at DrewGerza. You can also follow the podcast at DisAftDarkPod on Twitter. Remember, if you want to be a part of the show, you can email us at disabilityafterdark at gmail.com. Tell us a little bit about your story. Tell us a little bit about why you want to be on the show, and we'd love to have you. The show is, again, no longer just a sex and disability podcast. We want to talk to you about everything. So drop us a line. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. Remember, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month or as much as $5 a month or more to keep a bright light shining on these stories. I'm your host, Drew Gerza, your disabled daddy. Thank you so much for listening to this Wheels on the Ground production, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021